Hello, and welcome. You're listening to the An Apologist's Handbook podcast. I am Isaac Floyd, and today we're going to cover the topic, Why Christianity? Um, in order to answer this question, we must come from a couple of different um, understandings about how the question is asked. It's, first off, just like me, I'm going to talk about the pragmatic. It's a good question to ask because there are a lot of religions and uh, determining which one is the correct one and which one determines who God is is correctly is very important to how one would uh, actually make a conclusion. In order to ask the question, however, you should come from a I from from a understanding that there is a God and that he is all-powerful and he is the ultimate being. The reason for that is if you don't believe there's a God and you ask a Christian, well, why are you, why, why should I believe in Christianity? They're going to they're gonna go down this rabbit trail of why, why Jesus is, why Jesus should be accepted as, as a Lord and Savior. But if you guys haven't talked about a basic thing like God existing, then um, working there is going to be hard, and you're going to find yourself going in circles for a long amount of time. So I would suggest you only ask this question if you already believe that there is a God. Otherwise, you're kind of being... I, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to say a punk, but I do think you that you're 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 hastily getting into things, and you should definitely back up and go okay, why is there a god or or why must there be a god because it's how I phrase my stuff, why, uh, why must he be all power all powerful and the ultimate being which i think we could, we can go over on a different day if necessary um i think it's a pretty basic answer i just don't feel like going over it currently cuz i don't have it prepared in my script but um there's that and then why must christianity be true so right, right now we're, an we're answering the third question why must Christianity be true? Um, a lot of this is based actually in historical evidence, which is very nice because um, historical evidence, when it comes to things actually happening, is very important with Christianity. The important things in Christianity is the death, deity, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what makes you a Christian at the very least. If you believe in the death of Jesus, and you believe in the deity of Jesus, and you believe in the um, in the raising of Jesus, I think that you... Yeah, I think that's what makes a Christian. That's your salvation issues. Um, I, 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 get some, I get some pushback with uh, 
the deity of Jesus because some people don't believe that that is a salvation issue. I plan to make a statement on that at other time. But those are your three basics. Now, one of them, super easy. The other, uh, the other one that requires historical evidence is not, I don't want to say, I, I think it's super easy, but other people would say, well, no, it's not, it's not easy. Let's go over that. So one, the death of Jesus is super easy to try and find historically. Um, all you would need to do is just find a record of his death via crucifixion. We'll get into that later. And then the resurrection, I would say, is still easy to determine. Some people say, no, it's not easy to, to determine because extraordinary claims require for extraordinary ev evidences. Well, extraordinary claim, this would be an extraordinary claim stating that Jesus rose from the dead because it's unnatural. So, um, an extraordinary claim would be that Jesus rose from the dead. However, that does not require extraordinary evidence. All you would need is a record of Jesus after his death. For instance, if I were to die, and then three weeks later, there is a... Or I guess three days later, let's, let's be a little bit more precise. Three days later, there was a uh, picture of me in the, in the road greeting my mother and having my house key and everything. It's not extraordinary evidence. It proves an extraordinary claim, but saying, no, Isaac Floyd was there via this evidence doesn't require extraordinary evidence. You don't have to have God descend from this clouds. You'd be like, hello, Frank. You <laughs> must know that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he goes back into the clouds. It's not necessary. All right. The historical evidence uh, is basically things in the Bible match up with history more than any other religious text does. Uh, you got the Quran. You've got the uh, other books that are required in different religions, Book of Mormon, all these other things. I would say that the Bible can be taken as a historical book more than any other re religious text. There are three facts that the New Testament scholars across the board, regardless of religious backgrounds, agree to. And this makes the, the case for Christianity a lot stronger. I would say that now we have solid evidence that Christianity is true. So, the first one is Jesus' death. This is the first leg of Christianity. If a lot, a lot, a lot of times people want to make the, the statement that Jesus never existed, which is not a scholarly opinion when it comes to history. Uh, Gerd Ludemann, he is essentially an atheist. Um, he, he criticizes the, uh, the resurrection and the historicity of Christianity a lot. But he says, 
Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. Indisputable. Um, Marcus Borg, uh, who was a person who actually participated in the Jesus seminars. The Jesus seminars were actually something that were meant to criticize the Bible and such. He he died an atheist. He was some sort of progressive Christian at one point in time. He, we'll call him an atheist for all intents and purposes because he essentially was. He says, Marcus Borg says, the most certain fact about the historical Jesus is his execution as a political rebel. Paula Fredrickson, who was a convert to Judaism, says the single most solid fact about Jesus' life is his death. He was executed by the Roman prefect Pilate on or around Passover in the manner Roe preserved particularly for political insurrectionists, namely crucifixion. Um, Bart Ehrman, he's an agnostic atheist, he's probably the most quoted when talking about this subject, says one of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Reza Aslan, who is a Muslim, says, and he, he, well, he, has, a, he has a degree in religions and everything, but he says, Islam does not believe Jesus was crucified. Jesus was most definitely crucified. So, these are pretty big statements. We're saying that, that it's, it's indisputable, that it's a certain fact, it is the most solid fact. You have all these other things saying, no, Jesus definitely died via, or via, I don't know how, is it via? Via, via, by <laughs> crucifixion. So, that is an essential fact to Christianity. In order for someone to resurrect, they must have died first. In order for someone to have died, they have to have existed. So, that's very important to work out there. Um, the next thing is that the tomb was empty. Now, uh, to this I turn to a Christian, oh, Dr. William Lane Craig. He's, in this, in this work over the, the uh, empty tomb, he cites over 80 different scholarly sources. And his conclusion is, an examination of both Pauline, meaning of Paul, and gospel materials leads to eight lines of evidence in support of the conclusion that Jesus' tomb was discovered empty. One, Paul's testimony. Paul was considered a, 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 good, a good source because he was not initially a Christian. Uh, he was considered a scholar for his day, and uh, his, his testimony could have gotten him killed, which gives him less of a reason to want to lie about it. Um, says that his testimony says it says it implies historicity of the empty tomb. The presence of the empty tomb periscope in the pre-Marcan Passion story supports its, histor its historicity. So, 
even before there there are some there are some excerpts of sometimes like there's Paul's letters and all these other, other things uh, that you can trace back from before Mark I mean it's pre-Markin uh, before Mark had actually written the thing so there is there is a presence of an idea of an empty tomb before Mark wrote his gospel at least uh, I want to say I want to say 30 or 40 years ago 30 or 40 years later after the the, the, the cruc crucifixion although I, I don't have that number offhand um, the, the next one is the use of on the first day of the week instead of on the third day points to the primitiveness of the of the tradition so um, it, it shows that this wasn't an, an, a developed story it shows that it was earlier on the, the, way, the way that it was written uh, the narrative is theologically undorned, unadorned and non-apologetic um, no one's trying. No one was not. No one was trying to convince people that that the tomb was empty, because everyone knew at the time that the tomb was in fact empty. Uh, discovery of the tomb by women is highly probable. I'll have to get to that a different time. That's a that's a big long list, and I'll just get you in the weeds with that one. But in a short sentence, during the time of Jesus women's uh, testimony was considered unreliable. In the Bible, women found the empty tomb. So if there was no empty tomb, why would you write in that women found an empty tomb if their, temp if their testimony was considered unreliable? That's all I'm going to say for now. I'm going to move on. The investigation of the empty tomb by the disciples is historical, historically probable. That goes into into other sources, and it would have been impossible for the disciples to proclaim the resurrection in Jerusalem had the tomb not been empty. And lastly, and I think most importantly, the Jewish uh, polemic presupposes the empty tomb. What happened uh, was that the The Christians saw, hey, wow, the tomb, it's empty. Why would you look at that? And they went, whoa, Jesus must have rose, you know, like he said he was going to do. But then what the Jewish leaders did is they say, no, the disciples stole the body. Now, all that the Jewish leaders would have to do, if the, if the tomb was not empty, all they would have to do is walk in and see, oh, my word. That is not, that is still a body that is still laying there. Wow. Then they turn around and say, no, 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 the, the tomb is still empty. The tomb, tomb isn't empty. There's a body there. But because there was no body there, they had to um, create what is in, in, the, in, in the source is called a polemic. They, they had to create a, a contradictory story to what they had. No, 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 no. No, you guys, you guys took the body and you took it somewhere. Where's the body? So, they had 
they had to assume there was an empty tomb because there was no empty tomb. They have no reason to just lie and say, yes, the tomb was empty if they wanted to rail against the Christian narrative. All right. So that's your second one. And the third and final one is that the disciples were under the, were under the uh, impression that they saw Jesus after death. Truthfully. Um, the reason behind this is, I can, I can get into the, uh, the, the scholarly quotes in a minute, however, the reasoning behind this is, the, the, the disciples had no reason to lie, because they were, all of them were, were dying in terrible, gruesome ways. Um, there was, there was a lot of persecution of the, of the Christians in the days that Jesus had, in fact, arisen, but they had, uh, had taken in a lot of persecution through, you know, the, the Romans, the Jewish leaders. Let me address that for a second. People get upset when when people say, you know, that the Jewish leaders crucified Jesus. Or that, you know, the Jew Jewish leaders were persecuting the Christians. Um, I, I really wish that this wouldn't be such a big deal, but apparently it is. Um, just because I say that the Jewish leaders crucified Jesus, this does not mean that this is reminiscent of every single Jew. Like, I think it's pretty... I think it's pretty silly to go, oh, a group of Jews did a bad thing, and you don't like it, therefore you hate all Jews. That's not how that works, and I think we need to grow up from that. Um, the fact is, yes, through, through the, uh, the pressure of the Jewish leaders, the Romans crucified Jesus, but it was through the pressure of the Jewish leaders and his blood was on their hands, their hands, the Jewish leaders' hands. I don't put the blood of, of Jesus on, on the, on the Jewish girl that, that goes to my classroom. No, that's silly. And it's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous to assume that that's what I'm going to do. <sighs> so, that's what that is. But, my point is, that, um, the, the, it was 11, I want to say 11 out of 12 disciples. Hold on, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yep, 11 of the, of the, uh, oh, no. Like, ten of the twelve disciples were have had awful, awful deaths. Um, maybe. We know for a fact a, a good handful of them. Uh, I have a list in front of me. I'll just read it off. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded after two years in prison. Andrew was crucified. Uh, Thomas was pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Ouch. Uh, Philip 
was converted converted the wife of the Roman proconsul. Then he was put to death. Uh, Matthew, it's unsure whether he was stabbed to death or not martyred. Uh, Bartholomew, not exactly sure the 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 details around Bartholomew's death, but he was in fact martyred. Uh, James was stoned and clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot was killed after refusing to sacrifice to a sun god. Matthias was burned to death. And John was not martyred. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. Alright. Here's why I say that. People go, well, you know, People die for what they believe all the time, right? People in 9-11 believe that, Al that uh, Muhammad was Allah's messenger. Does that make Islam true? No, absolutely not. But the disciples actually claim to have seen the risen Jesus. Which jump-started Christianity. Um, if you witness something yourself, and then you die a gruesome death for that thing, when all you have to do is go, yeah, no, I don't believe that, and that never happened. Um, what you're what you're saying is likely to be true. Um, if you've been if you've been lying about something, and you know everyone will hate you for it so much that they want to arrest and kill you, would you still hold this useless lie? Even so, if they captured you and tortured you, would you not tell the truth to make the pain stop? Um, J. Warner Wallace, he, he says that in all cases he's worked in, he's a cold case homicide detective. In all the cases he's worked with, there are three motives. And I quote, um, financial greed, this is often the driving force behind the crimes I investigate, I being J. Warner Wallace. Some murders, for example, result in a botched robbery. Other murders take place simply because they give the suspect a financial advantage, sexual lust, or relational desire. I've also investigated a number of murders sexually or relationally motivated. Some sexual attackers murder their victims so they can't testify later. Some murderers occur be simply because a jealous boyfriend couldn't bear to see his girlfriend dating another man. The pursuit of power. Finally, some people commit murders to achieve or maintain a position of power or authority. It might be a rivalry between two people who are trying to get the same promotion. Others have killed simply because the victim dishonored, uh, dishonored or disrespected them in front of a group of peers. End quote. According to this criteria, the disciples had no reason to lie because it would be useless. Um, the, and the, the response might be, well, disciples became leaders of churches, didn't they? That would become a pursuit of power. Aside from the fact that governments in other countries are more powerful than churches are, Jesus did not tell them that they would get anything good from the world by being Christian. In fact, he told them it would be pretty rough. Uh, Matthew 10.22 says, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 24.9 says, 
then you will be handed over to the persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Uh, Gary Habermas and Michael Lincona, they co-written a book, and uh, their, their conclusion there... Wow. I wish I had the, the book up right here. Um, but the conclusion is the disciples' willingness... Quote, the disciples' willingness to suffer and die for their beliefs indicate that they certainly re regarded those beliefs as true. The case is so strong they did not willfully die or willfully lie about the appearances of the risen Jesus. Liars make poor martyrs. That's from Dr. Gary Habermas and Michael Lincona. Um, then I'm going to go ahead and look at what what the uh, the source for that is. The book source. One moment. Pop it down and I'm going to see. <laughs> so this would be The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. That is uh, the book that Gary Habermas and uh, Michael Lincona Lincona Lacona uh, wrote together. Anyhow, um, Gerd Ludemann says it may be taken as historically certain that Peter's and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. Um, Paula Fredrickson, bless her heart, she, her, her quote is, I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. I'm not saying what they really saw was the raised Jesus. I wasn't there, and I don't know what they saw. But I do know, as a historian, that they must have seen something. <laughs> she literally is like, I don't agree with these people. I swear it. I really don't know what they saw. It doesn't make any sense what they saw, but they saw something. It was certainly a thing. <laughs> it's like a scarecrow in the distance. Like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> anyway, um, so that is the basic, the basic argument historically for Jesus' resurrection. Now, here's the thing. Just with these three uh, facts, you can build a pretty solid foundation for the Christian belief. Um, there are plenty of ways that you can explain this naturally. There are not plenty of ways that you can that you can explain this naturally, and both sound like a sane person. Kids, why I say that? Um, so, just a recap. We've gone over, Jesus did historically die on the cross. The tomb, the tomb was historically empty. The disciples had historic experiences after Jesus' death that convinced them that Jesus rose from the dead, causing them to truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead and came to them, they, that he, he actually came to them. Now, there are five common theories that could be drawn from this naturally or four 
four naturally and then one supernaturally. Um, the conspiracy theory. This one was, was as old as the Jewish leaders, and we, we've, we've already typed in this one. The disciples moved Jesus' body and claimed that he rose from the dead. The issue with this theory is that the disciples had no reason to lie because, you know, they died awful, awful deaths. Um, this, this also neg negates the third fact that the disciples actually believed that Jesus rose from the, from the dead and assumed that they were lying. Now, now this is another one, uh, the, the, the displaced body theory. Joseph of Arimathea, who buried Jesus, moved the body from the tomb where he was originally buried to a criminal burial, burial ground. When the disciples saw the tomb was empty, they said that Jesus rose from the dead. The issue with this hypothesis is simple. Calvary, the hill Jesus died on, is closer to the criminal burial ground than the tomb. Joseph would have gone, had to gone out of his way. This comes. This is an argument from uh, William Lane Craig. Joseph would have, to go, have would have had to gone out of his way to put Jesus in the tomb, then go back and put him in the criminal burial ground. Furthermore, Joseph of Arimathea was secretly a disciple of Jesus. You can see that in Mark 15:43, John 19:38, Matthew 27:57. The Gospel of Nicodemus states that uh, Joseph was questioned by Jewish elders. But even then, I do not find the Gospel of Nicodemus canon, since it was written by the mid-4th century. The canon Gospels were written in the 1st century, which would be uh, 0 AD, I guess, to uh, 100 AD. This isn't beyond reason that the Jewish elders did question, jo did question Joseph, if they did, he must have lied, and this is what this theory assumes. Suppose that it's not so unreasonable. I suppose it's not so, so unreasonable. He feared the Jews, so he lied, and, but he also kept this from his fellow disciples. That doesn't seem to line up. On top of all that, this also fails, fails to address the third fact that the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death that convinced them that Jesus rose from the dead and came to them. An empty tomb is not enough evidence for such a claim. If anything, the disciples would have claimed that Jesus had just ascended to heaven. Even so, this does not acknowledge the fact that the disciples had experiences that led them to believe that Jesus rose and, rose and visited them. So, I said it twice, but there is a big, there's a big statement to be made there that um, if that, if the if uh, the disciples saw that the tomb was empty, they would have just been like, okay, yeah, he just yeeted up to heaven. He just went, whoop, and God took him up to heaven. This is actually the Muslim view that Jesus never died. He, um, he was never crucified, and that at one point in time, he was just ascended into heaven. Some people think he is. he was crucified, never died, 
And then Rams are having a weekend. We can talk about that actually very, very soon. Um, but the disciples came to the conclusion that Jesus came to them and talked to them, and they believed this fact. Um, the swoon theory, a.k.a. the apparent death theory, is that Jesus survived on the cross. <sighs> I don't like going through this, but I'm going to go through it because it's important. The process of crucifixion is gruesome. First, you are flogged with flesh-tearing thongs. These thongs rip out muscles, punctured arteries, and tear ligaments. Jesus then had to walk, some sources say, 2,000 feet, carrying a wooden beam to Calvary. Then Je Jesus had essentially railroad spikes driven into his wrists and probably his heels, although there is also uh, evidence for ankles. Um, I'm, I'm more of a heels guy myself. I like myself some heels. <laughs> and he would be left to hang. So... In the position that you're hung on a cross, Jesus would have to pull himself up, um, his himself up by his heels or his wrists in order to breathe. Um, after exhaustion was would set in, Jesus would have not had the energy to pull himself up, and would eventually asphyxiate. In the Bible, in order to make sure Jesus was dead, the Romans jammed a spear into his side, revealing that Jesus bled both blood and water. If this, if this truly happened, then the, then the hypothesis is beyond reason. According to the Journal of American Medical Associations, the, my highlight called, called them the JAMA, <laughs> the, the scourging... Sorry, one moment. The surgeon produced deep, stripe-like lacerations and, uh, appre and appreciable blood loss. So much blood loss, you can appreciate it. <laughs> and it probably set in the stage for hypovolemic shock as evidenced by the fact that Jesus was too weakened to carry the crossbar to, to Golgotha. The side of the crucifixion, his wrists were nailed to the crossbar, and after the crossbar was lifted onto the upright post, his, his feet were nailed to the, to the post. The major, okay, here's a big word coming, the major pathopsychologic patho Pathosylogic effect of crucifixion was an interference with normal respirations. Accordingly, death resulted primarily in from hypovolemic shock, shock and exhaustion, asphyxia. Whew. Jesus' death was ensured by the by the thrust of the soldier's spear in the side. Modern medical interpretation of this historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead when taken down from the cross. End of quote. So, 
this is a very detailed uh, quote, and basically all they're saying is the um, the fact that there's water and blood coming out of his body. Uh, this this would be a a uh, something that they wouldn't know a whole lot about during biblical times, or I would I would argue they wouldn't know anything about it during biblical times. But um, modern medicine says no, no that 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 is a result of hypovolemic shock, um, and then they also talk about why that is a a big factor in why Jesus probably did die from hypovolemic shock, uh, in addition to exhaustion asphyxia, meaning he just choked. Um, because he couldn't breathe eventually. Alright, but let's say that somehow Jesus survived not only crucifixion, but also the three days in the tomb, since his wounds would have certainly killed him by then. If Jesus appeared to the disciples with all of the wounds he sustained, he wouldn't be able to stand right, if at all, and to quote David Wood, the disciples would have been calling for a doctor. They would not have proclaimed that he was the Messiah. This hmm. This is it doesn't it seems like this theory does actually answer all of the facts, but in addition, it fails to support them all. And, well, I guess it doesn't answer... It, 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 neglects, it neglects the fact, the first fact that Jesus, in fact, died on the cross. And it's just saying, no, that's not true. He survived crucifixion. He just was crucified. Which, I think that wouldn't be outlandish to... In, in a logical sense, to say. But, since crucifixion was not something you survive from, then that was that's what makes it outlandish. Anyway. Uh, the fourth theory is the mass hallucination theory. All of the disciples thought that they saw Jesus, but they were all hallucinating, did not actually see him. There's no comparable situation of mass hallucination with this detailed duration and lack of explanation that the, that the resurrection vision requires. This sort of thing never happened in history outside of, you know, drugs. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> that the, the 12 disciples were not rolled up a joint or sniffing crack. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know drugs. Do you, do you, do you, do you snort crack? I'm not sure. Anyway... <laughs> to say that they were all on drugs is not only to be uh, dishonest, but it's also to just try and assert that your own opinion is true. Alright. Um, so, 
Paul says that Jesus appeared to the women who discovered the tomb, the twelve disciples, James the brother in Jesus, and to himself, which is dated to be about three to six years later than the crucifixion. Um, because, hmm. yeah, yeah, um, the, the road to Damascus, Paul's road to Damascus is dated to be about three to six years later than the crucifixion. This amount of people hallucinating the same thing just hasn't happened in history. It just is ridiculous. Well, Isaac, you know, just because of the game that's never happened in history doesn't make it impossible. Yes, but I can say the same with the resurrection. Just because nobody before has rose from the dead doesn't mean it can't ever happen. Boom. Christianity solved. And now you have to <laughs> accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's ridiculous. Um, this theory also fails to explain why the tomb was empty. If there was no resurrection, if there was no moving of the body, or the body moving itself from the tomb, then there's no reason to have an empty tomb. But the tomb was empty. So why is the tomb empty? Oh, could it be? Could it be that this last conclusion is the best conclusion? Conclusion number five, the resurrection. Jesus actually died on the cross, rose again, and showed himself to the disciples. This answers every aspect of the theory. The Son of God came to die for your sins. This is the love of God. It explains every anomaly provided in our current historical puzzle. If you accept that Jesus rose from the dead, predicted his death and resurrection, and, that, and said that this resurrection would prove his message to everybody who, who listened, and you're not Christian, I would be very confused. I have, I have this friend. His name's Stephen. And he is, ooh, he's a hoot. So I walked him through all of this, right? And at first, he accepted that Jesus rose from the dead. Once I walked him through this. At first he was like, no, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead because that's supernatural. And the supernatural doesn't exist. But then he accepted that Jesus rose from the dead. So, what he does is he redefines what his resurrection is. And then he determines it as a natural occurrence. So now anything else is supernatural. <sighs> so he says, resurrections are now natural. So there has to be a natural reason for why Jesus rose from the dead. Because the supernatural doesn't exist. Eventually I showed him that this was ridiculous. So now he believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. But he does not care. He slipped into apathy. So, yes, I just called you out, Stephen. Feel the burn. Anyway. Um, this, is, this is a sad thing, right? 90% of the time, none of this matters. It doesn't. There are three types of doubt. Uh, Gary Habermas gives you three types of doubts anyway. Uh, factual, emotional, and volitional doubt. Most doubt about God is not factual. That's what Gary Habermas says. 
Most a good doubt about God is not factual. End of quote. Now, I've just addressed the factual. The emotional deals with the problem of evil. It deals with why didn't God, you know, make sure that my foot was properly on this pedal so that my foot didn't slip and slam to the pavement. Why did God have to let me stub my toe? Obviously, I'm, I'm being a little bit humorous with that, but emotional deals with the heart, factual deals with the head, and volitional. The volitional is when the person just wants to distance themselves from God. Stephen is currently in this position. I ask you to pray for Stephen. Like, please, do that. Um, my family has dealt with volitional doubt. And, let me say, a not-so-figurative garbage truck. Uh, has, had a, has had a, a member of my family. Um... And that's 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 his, his testimony. That that's how he, that's how it snapped him out of his volitional out of his volitional doubt. I don't want. There's nothing you can do for volitional doubters. There's not. You you're stuck with this person who closes their eyes and 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 shoves their fingers in the ears and goes blah 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 blah. I don't want your God. I don't want your God. I don't want your God. There's nothing you can do with that person except for pray pray adamantly because I do not want garbage trucks. To hit them. <laughs> um, not, now, now I'm using it figuratively. But um, it's so important. It's so important. Prayer is so important in these situations. Because you can. You can walk them through the factual. You can prove to them that the uh, resurrection happened. This, this is where Stephen started. He started in the factual. Then he moved to the emotional. He moved. I, don't, I, I can't believe that God exists because... I, I tried I tried using God as my genie once and now and now you know he but he's done nothing for me so so I'm mad at God because he, he hasn't helped me at all but then once he had to accept that Jesus, that God has to exist it's, it's a necessity of life he moves into the volitional I'll call him Stephen anyway. Anyway, in fact, I want, I want to pray. I want, I want I want to go through prayer right now. Um, you're welcome to join me. Mm. Father God, I want to pray for not obvious. I do want to pray for Stephen, but outside of just Stephen, I want to pray for. Uh, Everyone who has who has these doubts now, who has these 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 things attacking their soul, because it's not from you, Lord. It's from it's from it's. I would say it's from Satan, and the the more that that Satan nags at unanswered questions, the bigger the door becomes to 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 leave you in your presence, Lord. This has to be true, Lord. It it is a necessity for this to be true. Not not because not because I'll, I'll be sad, not because 
Not because... Uh, because I want it to be true. Paul says that if Jesus never rose from the dead, that we are to be pitied above all men. I think humanity are to be, is to be pitied if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because that means we're all doomed. Because we will never, we will never satiate what it is that we have what we have to do through the law or anything because we cannot become perfect Lord I pray for my factual doubters out there and that they are able to accept this information and turn to you I pray for my emotional doubters as they go through life and unsure of where you are in theirs. And I'll pray for my volitional doubters. Lord, I, I do pray. I pray that you would soften their heart. And if they, if they reject the softening of your heart, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would give them that, that proverbial garbage truck. It's not going to feel good, but that they they would they would they would turn to you in that knowledge of who you are um amen if you're an atheist and looking at listening to this you're probably not it's not really an atheist platform uh although you're more than welcome obviously but um I love you I really do um, you mean a lot to me. But you really, you really need to get your head into gear. Your head into gear because this, this is important. You can't just shrug this off. You really cannot. You shrug this off, you are to be pitied above all men. But additionally, Accepting the love of Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've been free for so many things. And I want that for you too. Alright. Well, that was today's episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I try to keep it less less dry than, than I had been, have been. Um, but... I hope you have a great day, evening, um, night, morning thing, uh, spacewalk, uh, walk with the Lord and do his will. <laughs>